0: Welcome to the Young Artists Podcast, when young artists take center stage. I'm your host, Natalia, and this is the place where we dive deep into the minds and works of emerging artists, exploring their unique perspectives and creative journeys. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Young Artist Podcast. I'm thrilled to have a wonderfully talented artist with us today. Uh, someone who's worked seamlessly with together painting and textile artistry. Joining us is the brilliant Bisi Riva. Hi. Hi. Uh, so Bisi, can you please introduce your art practice? What is your main concern right now and what do you do?
1: Yeah, so right now I've been focusing on oil painting, um, but I previously worked a lot with textiles think it will probably come back in a bit more. Um, but I've been showing a lot of kind of fidgeting and habits through mm-hmm. painting. Um, yeah, and I work pretty abstractly. I've always liked that. So right now, kind of zooming in, looking at details, of the way people kind of react to emotions, stressful situations, um, the little things that you kind of do to, I don't know, self-soothe in a way. So Yeah. yeah.
0: How did you come about this idea?
1: I was looking at, first of all, self-portraiture, but I kind of wanted, I was doing self-portraiture, but they were the portraits themselves were not necessarily meant to be of me. I think they just, I wanted them to express an emotion. Um, And then from that, I was looking at kind of what portraiture can be. So not necessarily just a face or a profile, but Mm -hmm. the other ways you can grasp someone's identity. So maybe a gestural, thing. Um, And that was through a Philip Guston reference. So this painting, Talking, where he shows him smoking in his hand, but you can kind of see the passion um, of his personality come through. Mm -hmm. So that kind of led me to think about the hands. And I really enjoyed painting the hands and kind of the weird shapes and colors that come out when you kind of clench your fists or crack your nipples. And...
0: So when do you think about gestures, defining a person mm-hmm. and relation to your project? Did you interview some people? What are their ways of uh, dealing with anxiousness and, or what do they do? What was the responses?
1: I looked, I didn't intend to, and I, I don't know if I call them interviews, but I was just talking to people about what I was doing and the more kind of conversations, I had, I learned that kind of everyone has something they do, whether they really mean to or not. And then I started looking or listening to what people were saying and uh, depicting those. So I've had kind of friends or family tell me little things they do very different from kind of my fidgeting or my habits. So I don't know, it's been a good way to kind of look outwards um, and make stuff more relatable.
0: Yeah, I find it super interesting because you made me realize like how many things I do personally, mm-hmm. like these little gestures that happen unintentionally mm-hmm. when I'm stressed. I think it's super interesting to look at that. And why okay. particularly oil painting in that theme?
1: I, I just love oil paint. I've um, always loved painting, even when I was doing textiles, using paint to kind of create textiles, either designs or digitally printing them, and then as I've been kind of studying more fine art, wanting to just focus on painting, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um, and I use oil sticks. Uh, I use them originally because I could travel with them because they're kind of a solid stick and easy to fit in a bag, but then I've just gotten so used to them, and I also find that I can work with them with my hands, and have been noticing the way my hands move with the sticks as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, something about Kind of the width of them as well makes me um, feel more confident, I think. And yeah, it's just been something I've been loving recently.
0: I find oil sticks uh, a little bit like bringing the drawing quality into painting. Definitely. do you think about that?
1: Definitely. I think sometimes it's hard with them to get precision. So that's why for me working abstractly, they, they're they kind of a useful tool mm-hmm. because I can kind of work with what happens to them, but it's, yeah, definitely drawing. Do you sharp them or? Sometimes I'll like cut off a piece and yeah. make the end a little bit sharp, but they're also great to break down uh, with like turpentine or something mm-hmm. used to them paint. And, and I like that, that they're such a rich pigment because color is really important to me i really just enjoy kind of creating palettes um so yeah they've been my kind of primary tool recently
0: is it is there a specific color palette that mainly influences your practice or do you play with every shades or is it something that really like some particular tone or color
1: that is predominant it's funny when i was in undergraduate i refused to use blue because i found it very difficult Mm -hmm. and i really love red um which i guess it's obvious right now but (laughs) i i don't know why exactly i just i think it's it's a strong color and it helps me to be loud as well um i really like so undergraduate i remember i'd only use like golds and greens and reds and blacks Um, and then over time I've started to incorporate pinks, which I was very surprised by myself. And I can see I'm slowly drifting towards adding pastels and colors rather than just jewel tones. And that's really changing. And I don't always have a distinct idea of why, um, but I really like red as a primary Mm -hmm. focus in my painting.
0: That's interesting what yeah. you said because I also really like red mm-hmm. and I yeah. I work with political topics and I also find it very loud. It helps yeah. to speak about the topics definitely. Yeah, and then in, hi- in a way it hi- highlights the issues.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's very rich. I think it also yeah. kind of draws your eye in for an audience member as well.
0: So you mentioned traveling. Mm-hmm. I know you recently came back from Kenya. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about your art experience in Nairobi? And how was it? What did you paint? And
1: Yeah, I definitely switched a lot from what I was painting. And I was also working in different textile jobs while I was there. Uh, I've kind of explored different things while being in Kenya. Um, I did a residency for six weeks while I was there at one point uh, at this place called Olopangi and I I think at that time kind of transitioned more towards doing very abstracted type of portraits to identify kind of, you know, solitude and I think that also is a result of the pandemic of it. Um, but I also love to paint florals and Nairobi is so like rich in florals and botanicals and it's so green and lovely so I really like to paint that. Um, but also my background in textiles I think plays into that. So you know, florals are such a big part of print design. Um, mm-hmm. so it's a, I, I find florals very like cathartic way to paint sometimes.
0: So I, between your works, I saw that you are like weaving together mm-hmm. some of your works. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is like the idea behind that? And yeah,
1: I think for, yeah. So I was cutting some paintings up and sewing them together. I think, uh, that was to incorporate kind of also the textile um, techniques into creating a piece and also looking at the different ways you can engage with a painting. So, you know, not necessarily just stretched around a canvas, but mm-hmm. what is, you know, a painting cut up as a piece of fabric kind of hung, do to someone um, when they approach it rather than also the textile, you know, perception of looking at it on a bed or on a couch or, or, or on your body. So... Um, yeah, I found that kind of an interesting way to explore the material, um, but then conceptually I think I was trying to combine multiple ideas, so mm-hmm. for one, I looked at kind of two different ideas and to kind of combine them, uh, two ideas that I didn't feel like were cohesive, mm-hmm. and to combine them, cut them up, and made these kind of genes. What ideas were those? That was, I was looking at the mind and body, I think my personal relationship they, I don't feel like as much cohesion sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I had a painting of the mind and a painting of the body. And then to kind of articulate that disconnect or friction, I cut them up and sewed them together. And it kind of looked like this clutter of colors. and. Um, but also using kind of quilting techniques to make them. So it was a bit geometric in the end. So there's some, some fluidity, but some not. So yeah.
0: That's great. And I feel like your practice, the projects that you introduced, Mm -hmm. one about fidgeting, one about Mm -hmm. the body, it really helps you like establish relationship with yourself. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like this in this way, your art practice is a little bit like cathartic for you to like come to conclusions about
1: yourself? Definitely. I mean, I started painting like when I was like 15 or 16 and it was a total outlet for me. Uh, And that's why I kind of stuck with it. And I actually didn't study it in undergraduate because I wanted to preserve it as kind of my outlet. And now approaching it from like a professional and student level, I, yeah, I feel like I've been able to see it as, keep it as an outlet while still exploring it from, you know, a higher level of learning and Mm -hmm. creating. Um, But it definitely helps me kind of release (laughs) feelings and reflect on them.
0: That's wonderful and yeah. about uh, textiles mm-hmm. Can you talk about one of your projects that you made with textiles and like introduce the
1: idea? And... yeah I did this one piece that was um, it was a, I was also cutting apart paintings and they were all these botanical paintings and sewing them together and I was looking at the way uh, I could make this kind of enormous quilt that you would have to approach and it would be kind of displayed outside and the whole idea is that it would possibly be hidden in a forest or something and it would attract whoever was walking by to kind of go towards that and maybe leave the environment alone a little bit and mm. kind of stop the environmental impact in a way, almost as this kind of like, I don't know, red. I titled it Red Herring as this kind of like decoy, you know, like look over mm. here and kind of you know, so
0: you placed your textile within like natural
1: environment? Yeah, so I made it with the intention to be displayed outside. Um, I would like to try and put it in many different environments uh, at some point in time and document it.
0: Yeah, I think it would be super interesting to see mm. also how it, uh, how it decays mm, with definitely. time, you know what yeah. I mean?
1: And I would also like, yeah, I think that would be super important to the piece. And, and it also made me think about kind of the importance of a painting, you know, when it's on, it's in a white gallery wall or something, you, you give it so much value, but why is that different if it's hung outside? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was thinking a lot about that and, you know, the preservation of a painting. So having it, in snow where it could be you know the paint could melt or get ruined would be actually really helpful to the piece overall
0: yeah i think it would be like, captivating to watch mm. so um you said that this textile it incorporates some floral motifs yeah so what like because this one did you do it also in kenya or was it tracing back to the us
1: this was in kenya and i think i was also kind of approaching it as well from an abstract lens so they were referencing maybe the colors uh and a little bit of the shape of florals in Kenya but kind of from a maybe wilder and um imaginative lens yeah kind of going back into the idea of you know patterns and um the way you know, a floral is depicted on fabric isn't necessarily true to, Mm -hmm. you know, how it actually is. So I was really keeping that aspect of textiles in mind within the painting.
0: Okay. Uh, In what way? It's not, it's not like representative. I feel like... I never thought about it, so...
1: (laughs) I think they almost look kind of like alien versions Mm. of uh, existing florals. Okay. And very kind of vibrant colors. And so not necessarily... Accurate, um, but that's why I like abstraction because it kind of forces you to think of you know other ways things could be interpreted. Mm-hmm.
0: So, did this floral inspiration come particularly from Kenya, or was it something connected to your background, perhaps?
1: I think I just yeah, always like painting florals. Um, these were specific to to, uh, Kenya. to Kenya, though. Yeah. So,
0: what about the art scene in Kenya? How did you feel like working there and being a part of?
1: such different culture from yours? I mean, there's a very cool art scene and amazing uh, Kenyan artists. I've basically worked within textiles and so switching into painting has been very new to me while I've been there. Mm-hmm. That's kind of why I tra- wanted to transition into this kind of um, con- educational background to learn more about painting. But there's some amazing galleries. There's really incredible sculptors and painters and it's a very cool community. Um, but I feel like I've been lucky to kind of see works of other artists in galleries and everything yeah
0: cool and uh let's trace back to your undergraduate Mm -hmm. you did your undergrad at risd right Mm -hmm. how was that experience and how do you feel it shaped you like um in terms of studying textiles and like the creative community in rhode island Mm -hmm. versus what you are experiencing now in london
1: I had loved RISD, it was a really great experience. I made some very amazing friends, and also friends who have such a different approach to art or different mediums, and that was always cool to learn from and see. Um, RISD had a different way than RCA, in terms of, um, I think, the way you approached making. I think at that point in time, you know, you go into school at 18. So it's very based on the foundation of learning how to make things from start to finish on your Mm -hmm. own. Whereas I find lately it's been at RCA, it's been more research-based and then maybe approaching the making after. Um, But it was great. I mean, you learned everything from that kind of the foundation of, uh, you know, for me in textiles, like how to spin your own yarn to then how to machine knit by the end. So it was cool. And I think within textiles, you kind of had these routes that you could really explore. So it was either knitting or silkscreen printing or weaving. Um, But I I personally was always really interested in fine art and the idea of incorporating painting. So I kind of used, I kind of floated between those paths, I think, and used um, especially like digital embroidery and digital printing to make work. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was making a lot more kind of sculptural, textile pieces at that point, Um, but incorporating my paintings onto fabric to kind of create these almost like wearable paintings, I guess, that were a bit a bit loud. Yeah.
0: Can you talk about like one specific piece from back then?
1: Yeah, so I, I did, I guess, speaking to that was my kind of thesis work was, I was thinking I was thinking a lot about memories, especially uh, the idea of how memories change over time. So I've been doing this kind of. Uh, course we had in the winter uh, photographing in black and white mm-hmm. and I wanted to paint from them but I thought the idea of painting, painting from a black and white photo you're automatically abstracting one level because you have to you know interpret that in color so that was kind of the first layer of abstraction um, so then well,
0: weren't your photographs yeah so you kind of knew, like, the colors that were there before, or you, like, managed to, like, forget them? And
1: I think you kind of forgot over time. So I would I did them over this kind of, I think, like a January term there. I mm-hmm. uh, wrote a little bit about them, developed them in the dark room, and then a few weeks later would have to kind of remember what that was like. But also the text that I was writing about would kind of inform it. So maybe I would talk about, um, you know, this person's red hat that walked by, and that might come into the painting Um And yeah, so I was thinking about these memories kind of warping um, with just distance and time and maybe the way you can like romanticize a memory or alter it um, based on events that have happened, you know, in between. Mm -hmm. And so I started digitally printing these paintings onto fabric and then kind of using scrap material within the same color palette to basically just build these layers and layers of fabric. So that by the, and cut them up and sew them together and kind of use the sewing machine to sculpt and just do it around a body. So they're kind of these, um, yeah. Where they in the end looked almost like these, like paint themselves. I I hope I think so.
0: So what was on the photographs that you painted?
1: I was painting kind of people that like li- these were more mundane memories. So people that walk by. Um, I was in, when I did this course about darkroom photography, I was in Paris. So, you know, it might've been a stranger on the street or I think one photograph was like an old man walking in front of a church door and he had this kind of very cool dark green coat and the door mm-hmm. was bright blue. And, and then I loved seeing that and trying to reimagine that later, um, and also use kind of oil paints and, or acrylics to really bring out those kind of vibrant colors.
0: I love how with your practice you play with colors a lot in a way of like Mm reinterpreting the colors that you experience in real life. And Thank you. I feel like you did it with this project, but you also did it with the fidgeting project. Mm. Like the colors are so unreal, yet they really yeah. represent reality. Uh, what is your inspiration for that? Like
1: how this idea developed? I am not exactly sure. How. I don't know. I just always like vibrant colors, mm-hmm. which is um, or or just the intense colors. So not necessarily neons, but like really rich reds and blues and greens. Um, And I, I think I like, I don't want to match it to reality. So I like the way I can to like dial back from shadows and think, okay, maybe this gray could go within this shadow, but then what would interpret the, you know, light that's reflecting and pick like a vibrant yellow and just see how that all plays out. Mm. Um, I really like that. And I think that comes back to maybe a design background with textiles. So kind of creating patterns with colors, even if it's a painting itself.
0: It's it's amazing. For me, it like really speaks to sort of like creating your own imaginary, you know, like realm of Mm -hmm. things that you experience, but then they just... Like stick in your mind and they become something completely different. Yeah. Which is very cool and uh, there's a lot of like Igon Schiele in your works I feel you know like with this colorful hands Mm -hmm. that are very you know like gestural and very um, Thank you. Yeah it's it's very very interesting for me.
1: Thanks. Yeah I've been looking at his work a lot lately I think I've always I, I also love the way that oil paint specifically, and I think you might feel the same way. Like it's so, it's such a textural mm-hmm. kind of like gooey, rich, yeah, like yeah, fun yeah. material that I think when you use these intense colors, you really get to see that even with really dark greens or even blacks, like when the way the light picks that up. Um, Yeah, and in a way, like
0: oil paints don't flatten; they just stay like as vibrant as you apply them. Yeah, which for me is a bit annoying with acrylics. Like
1: when you paint, Mm -hmm. and then when it dries, it's completely different thing. Right, definitely. I run into sometimes getting really muddied colors Mm -hmm. depending on how I paint. That's why I think I like the oil sticks a bit. You know, it's hard for me to do the to just work with a brush at this point because I. I'm too impatient to let it dry, so I'll go over that color if I don't like it. And I realize I can get really muddy, so that's why the oil sticks have been kind of fun for me.
0: I see. So, how do you work with the painting? What is the process? Do you sketch? Do you
1: just go intuitively or...? I do a kind of rough sketch. Sometimes it's very, like if it's florals, it'll be maybe intuitively, but for these kind of hands or fidgeting, I'll take a photo and do a rough sketch to get the shape, but It'll get lost under the painting itself, but then I get the idea of placement. Um, And so lately I've been, yeah, just kind of placing out the colors where I want them to be. So, okay, if this is the lightest bit throughout all of the levels of the photo within the hands, I'll take like a very vibrant yellow and just put that there and then kind of carve out each level of light throughout the painting and then go back into kind of sculpting out the shape um and then using a kind of solid background and maybe a brush at this point to kind of you know tidy it up in the end yeah
0: so are you open to like unexpected outcome then something that's
1: really really planned but it's like happening? definitely i never plan the colors that's really no yeah they that's-
0: looked like they are perfectly planned oh thank you. <laughs> yeah.
1: sometimes i like, hold up a uh, you know, a stick and be like, does this one work with what's going on or not? But no, that's always kind of, or maybe I'll think about the final color of the mm-hmm. background, but yeah.
0: So apart from Igon Sheila, you also, uh, mentioned Gaston, like who mm-hmm. is your biggest inspiration in terms of painting or textiles or any art form?
1: I kind of started painting because of um, Richard Diebenkorn. Mm-hmm. He had this New Mexico series, and I was like 15 or 16. And I was given this book by my parents, and I was just like completely in love with that work. Um, and it made me also learn more about abstraction um, and. I love Frank Auerbach, I think his uh, work is incredible. Um, What about
0: it specifically for you?
1: I mean, his portraits, like it's just such thick paint and Mm -hmm. he, I think he also kind of gives permission and allows you to be like, oh, this is a portrait, even though it's, you know, you don't really get any facial details, but it is so, it's such a person that he's captured. But the, I mean, the paint must be like inches or centimeters off the, Mm -hmm. the canvas. And I just always loved that and that he did it at a time where people weren't really doing that. Um, yeah. And I, I think when I first started painting, when I was in high school, I really struggled with, you know, representational work and that really got me down at that, you know, point in time. And I had this amazing teacher who basically showed me these artists and was like, well, you know, Francisco Clemente, who's like, you don't have to, you know, do um, exactly representational work for it to be a powerful or, you know, a portrait of someone. Um, So that was kind of why I got inspired by those guys.
0: I see. You mentioned the thick layer of paint. Mm -hmm. Do you also experiment with like impasto or something that would really bring the texture into the painting?
1: I think I could more. I think I'd like to more. I think with the sticks, sometimes it's a bit hard. Mm -hmm. Um, But at points I have, I think like with acrylic, I really struggle because it comes off so flat. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it would be interesting to build off more. Uh, That project I was telling you about with the layered um, fabrics, I called that impasto. Uh, because it I think hopefully embodied that like level of thickness of paint and it drew the parallel between textiles and painting
0: so this project you used so much of photography Mm -hmm. do you consider photography to be a part of your
1: practice as well I think it's changed I think it used to be a lot more I definitely I think now more I'll use my iPhone to capture things that I want to paint whereas before I was using this film camera really intentionally Mm -hmm. so that I had that Space between when it was developed and when I uh, actually made the work, but now just with the iPhone, I've been thinking, especially about habits. Just you know, there's stuff I've even in this process kind of realized that I do that I don't even think. Like when I hold my phone, I leave my pinky out. And I was like, I don't know why <laughs> Is that. Is a ticum as well? Yeah, exactly, kind of like that. And so noticing other kind of funny, strange. Things and I'll just take a little photo. And
0: about do that. the iPhone, you did a project about um,
1: selfies as well. Yeah,
0: that's also why photography is like in the bottom yeah. of my head all the time when thinking of you.
1: Well, it's yeah. So that I was looking at kind of um, the mirror stage theory and the way that you kind of uh, develop, or it's you know theorized that as a child you may develop anxieties or neuroses by looking at yourself in a mirror. Well, you first understand that you're, you know, a human in that way, but also there's this idea within that theory called uh, the ideal eye, and that kind of brings these anxieties on because your reflection is that ideal eye, which could be, you know, maybe your mother's gaze or a literal mirror, and it's said that you can't really measure up to that image. Oh. So, I was thinking about that in a contemporary context, and that's just, you know, a theory. But from a contemporary lens, I was thinking of, you know, we always photograph ourselves or photograph ourselves in a mirror when we walk by, or I don't know, some people do. And kind of looking at, okay, now we have the ability to curate our ideal eye, you know, with Photoshop or, you know, you're taking that photo to post on the internet. But like, what is actually going on or how are you feeling at that time? Uh, And so I wanted to look back at my own think, you know, times where I maybe took a photo and I thought, oh, I you know, it was a projection of myself to show to others, but really, maybe it was not a great time, and, you know, what was going on with me, or, you know, maybe a lot of other things were happening. So I reflected on those past images and tried to capture more of the essence of how I was feeling. Um, and yeah, so that was also why abstraction really helped, because it made the portraits not necessarily just of me, but I think get hopefully get across kind of uh, a visual idea of an expression rather than mm. this, you know, curated image of myself.
0: So I think it's a very uh, important topic mm-hmm. nowadays mm-hmm. and especially with like social media. Yeah. So what's your take on social media and especially like Instagram or, I don't know, TikTok where the visual plays the most important yeah. role?
1: I don't know. I think I used to use Instagram a lot more than I do now. Um, I think Instagram can be great in some ways and can be a tool. I think in other ways, I think it can cause people a lot of anxieties. I think also the algorithm and the way that it's become very much about selling products has changed quite Mm -hmm. a bit. Um, I used to display a lot more of my artwork online and hopefully to sell pieces. And then I realized when the algorithm switched, like maybe a year ago, you know, because I wasn't posting reels, I got a lot less traction and a lot more inquiries. Mm-hmm. And then I thought I didn't really want to adapt to the algorithm because it's also, you know, who knows if it's forever. Yeah. Um, but it's also, you know, it's a great way for people to see your work. But on the other hand, it can be frustrating to work on something, you know, that hour you spent hours on or is, or is massive. And you have to then display it at a one-inch scale. Mm -hmm. And people just see it on there, you know, as they flick by. So, yeah, there's, I think, good and bad to it.
0: Yeah, I think it's very frustrating what you mentioned with the algorithm that your work doesn't even get displayed Mm -hmm. on people's feeds, you know? Like, you put so much work and you want it to be, you know, uh, visible. But then, like... It's not chosen within this curation, you know right. what I mean?
1: And then, you you know, the, I think the way Instagram works is you have to do so much like reels and posts all the time for it to get that traction. But then I've also considered like, I that's not what I want my work to necessarily be about. I don't want it to be, you know, all over someone's Instagram in a way. Yeah. Especially because they are so intimate and personal. So, you know, hopefully people see them, but... I've I've definitely stepped back a lot more recently, not necessarily intentionally, but I think also what I've realized is I used to, especially because I worked quite a bit alone, uh, painting, I would post after every one I finished. And I think I haven't posted in a long time about my work. And it's kind of been helpful because I was relying on the feedback of, you know, someone just clicking a like Mm. and that number to validate or give me, you know, some type of response to the work. So now to actually have a moment to breathe and just make a lot and then maybe show it after the fact um, has been kind of helpful for me.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important what you mentioned about validation we get mm-hmm. from likes, which mm-hmm. is like, you know, nothing, but then yeah. they matter so much. Yeah. What are your other like um, maybe advices about like self promotion as an artist? It's such a difficult topic.
1: It's so difficult. I don't know. I'm I'm not the best at self promoting. (laughs) I think, but I think meeting other artists. I think especially like young artists, and that's why I think this podcast is so cool. Um, Getting to know like what people are doing, and I feel like yeah, just making other artists friends to talk about and feel comfortable to talk about what you're working on is so important. Um, I have so many friends from undergrad now from here that have given me advice that has meant so much and very constructive feedback, but we might have completely different practices. And, but for some reason, we can understand what the other's thinking or kind of get inside that head. So, yeah.
0: So, in general, what would be your advice for young artists?
1: I don't know, I think just keep making all the time. That's what helps me. Um, I also had a teacher once say that treat every job as a kind of education and that's really helped me. So even when I do like freelance work within textiles that I don't feel um, is reflective of my artwork, but treating like the, you know, thinking about what someone wants and, you know, what you can actually do with a different medium or um, kind of approaching, you know, different prompts, I think, just to kind of learn from it, I guess. I hope that's yeah. helpful. <laughs> you
0: know? Yeah, I think it is. And in terms of, like, your day and mm-hmm. as an artist and how do you approach, like, working as a painter, what would that be like? What's your process of just producing?
1: I think it's tricky creating, sometimes. Yeah. I, yeah, I think, I mean, I do a bit of freelance work within textiles, um, so that's a very different mindset and I'll usually have those on different days. Um, I, I need to do emails first thing in the morning or else I won't do them and look at my phone. (laughs) Um, and then I think for me, it's like, I need to know I have like four to five hours to spend at least, you know, um, I think getting really into it making an environment that you feel like you can just have that connection with the canvas. So like, I think I can't listen to talking and, and get into it as much as I could with just music or Mm -hmm distractions or something like that.
0: So as we come to the close of the conversation with BC, I want to express my gratitude for sharing your artistic journey and your insights and your unique approach of blending oil with textile artistry is very, very inspiring. Thank you so much. So thank you for coming here. and. Thank you also to our listeners for listening to this episode and don't forget to check our Instagram and BC's Instagram for uh, her artworks and we'll definitely link it on our page and stay tuned for the next week. Bye! Thank you for joining us on the Young Artists Podcast. Don't forget to stay connected with us on Instagram and LinkedIn. Follow us at Young Artist Podcast for behind-the-scenes glimpses, updates and even more artistic inspiration. Your support fuels our creativity.